In Canada, one woman is killed in a violent act every other day. The spike in domestic violence that began during the pandemic is still on the rise. Numbers in Canada have leapt by 27% since 2019, and in Israel, the situation is just as critical, with 16 Israeli women already murdered this year. True to its mission, CHW is stepping up to support emergency services in Canada and Israel at this critical time. Help CHW empower victims of domestic violence by supporting the 27-hour SOS crowdfunding campaign. From August 22nd to 23rd, every dollar will be quadrupled when you donate online at chwsos.ca. That God forbid their ears should be uh, infected with a minute of any music that has Jewish next to it. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. Join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we chat with Eric Stein, the artistic director of Toronto's Ashkenaz Festival, about their summer jam band series. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor But I became an artist and that really shocked her Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish But all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish Alana, what do you know about jam bands? So it's funny because I didn't think that I knew what jam bands were When we were going to do this episode, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to look up what a jam band is Then I started going into this deep Spotify dive, looking up all sorts of different jam band playlists. And I was like, I feel like I've heard this before. And it's funny because it reminded me of back in elementary school, all the like Jewish boys in my grade would always talk about like loving Dave Matthews band and Grateful Dead. And I never even listened to those bands until a few days ago. And I, in my mind, thought that Grateful Dead was like a metal band because it sounds so intense. And I was like, hmm, okay, this is not at all what I thought. And upon listening to it, I was like, okay, so the the guys in elementary school like this. And then it also did remind me of of summer camp. David, did you go to sleepaway camp? I did. I did for for two years and day camp as well. I was never a big fan of summer camp. I I cried a lot. Was it it a Jewish Jewish sleepaway camp? Yeah, it was B'nai B'rith. B'nai B'rith, okay. So then you will maybe know this... this, um, uh, reference. My memory of jam band specifically was, um, I forget what they called it, but like they would send all the different Jewish summer camps into one of the camps and they would do like a sports competition. And I remember after that happened, when it was at my camp, because I was never on any of the sports teams, um, we I. did like a jam session. And I remember being asked to come sing. And I was like, it was the first time I'd ever scatted before. And they did like a whole bunch of different covers with some people. And then I came and did some of the improv part. So jam bands, improvisational, um, I looked well, it up I and the, the official uh, oh. definition that I found was jam band performances often feature extended musical improvisation over rhythmic grooves and chord patterns and long sets of music that cross genre boundaries. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you, definitely. I had to look that up too because I had no idea when I was being told we're doing jam bands. I was like, what is a jam band? And then I was given references for these bands. I was like, I've never listened to any of these. I'd never listened to them, but I'd like heard of them. Yeah. Like, like I'm remember, sure you um, heard of Fish, right? Well, that's the only one I had heard of. And it, I've never actually listened to any of their music. But when I was <laughs> yeah. in grade seven in Bialik, you know, we're supposed to have like mentors from grade 11 who like take care of us and look out for us for the first couple of weeks of school to get us adjusted. The mm-hmm. guy was wearing a Fish shirt. And he oh was like, God. oh, hey, nice to meet you. I'm so and so. And he's like, hey, do you like Fish? And I go, what's Fish? He's like, oh, music band. Like, they're my favorite. I go, 
never heard of them before. <laughs> and our conversation just came to a crashing halt. And I don't think we ever spoke again after that. Oh my gosh. I actually have a friend who went to Bialik, um, that would not be the same person because he's younger than you. Um, who's a huge fish fan and he goes to like all the concerts, like whenever they're, you know, touring a bunch of cities, he'll go to like three in a row and he's not even like a stoner type. And he keeps like making jokes of like, I'm not the typical fish, you know, enthusiast, but I love the music. So what what do you think it is? Why do you, why do Jews love jam bands? It's a great question. I, I am surprised Jews love jam bands so much, but maybe it has to do with the community, right? These people who are lovers of, as you said, fish, they go on concerts, they follow each other. It's like a groupie uh, mm-hmm. type of movement where people come together and they hang out. And I think over years, they see each other getting older, they have families. So it's really this, as I said, community bonding event, much like going to temple probably and feeling like you're connected to something greater than your individual self. Do you think I'm, I'm totally out of left field here? Um, no, it could be community. I mean, I feel like there's also a lot of musical roots in Judaism and like the melodies and, you know, there's klezmer music and there's like, you know, more synagogue music and all sorts of different like music uh, eras historically in Jewish culture and religion. But I'm curious what people on the ground had to say, because our producer, Michael Freeman, was actually able to go down to the summer series that Ashkenaz Festival is putting on in Toronto. They're doing three outdoor concerts in Earl Bales Park, and he was able to go and chat with some people who had come for the jam bands. Yeah, let's take a listen to that. Well, I think from my experience, it has something to do with camp, like summer camp. Okay. And like I went to a camp called Camp Chamberlain. You might know, you probably know it. Yeah. And the Grateful Dead and Fish were like really popular there, so that was my initial exposure to it, for sure. And um, what do you think it is about about that music that you know? What's at the middle of the Venn diagram between Jews yeah, and Jamaicans? Yeah. Okay. So maybe maybe. Um, Maybe there's like an intellectual element to it, like it's complex musically, and so then I guess it attracts a certain demographic of people that are educated and like maybe thinking a little more critically about the music, that might have something to do with it. I think it has to do with, yeah, like, okay, here's another thing. I think these bands become popular through like word of mouth, right, and like not traditional music on the radio, but through word of mouth, and I think Jews tend to belong to a community and share information within the community so maybe there's like a sharing of information within the community that spreads the popularity of it it's kind of like where the camp thing came from for me I just like it because it brings back the soul of the Jew the wandering the discontent the wandering yeah, yeah. It just, uh, it's not structured Jews always like music I mean it's a part of our culture yeah. you know that's why Chazen sing. Right? Sure. So tell me a little bit more about the wandering thing. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, it's the disconnect to the natural rhythms. Just like that. Hmm. Just brings back memories of uh, disconnect in our lives, and the music sort of emphasizes it. Real good music. I think, regardless of what nationality you are, you connect to it. It just certain vibrations, certain sounds, certain rhythms. I don't know, they, they, 
they change your mood, they bring out different types of energies inside of you, so... I know Jews like to smoke weed, so like, weed and jam bands go together. That's it, that's not the entire idea. <laughs> well, their, their parents are probably maybe a little bit hippie as well. Yeah. Like, so they probably got in, you know, introduced through through the parents a little bit. So I think it's a weed connection. <laughs> no. no, I don't know, I don't know. I actually don't know. Because they like marijuana. That's literally what the last guy just said. Yeah. I think that's the best answer. <laughs> then why do they like marijuana? Because they like it's like a it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I don't know. But that's my answer. Cash. What's your answer? I don't know. I okay. I think it you goes. You're not a big marijuana. Fan. No, no. I think it goes back oh to like the shtetl and 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 the roots of this music, and it's just like it's in our DNA now. Wait, the roots of this music are in the shtetl? No, like in the in the shtetls, they used to people. What did they do for entertainment? They would sing. They would play music. It's just like the next iteration, the evolution of music. Was there a jam band atmosphere in the shtetl? I think there was music in the shtetl. Yeah. And maybe different different musicians playing to entertain people. I mean, what else did they have for entertainment in those days? Music? Think about Broadway, Broadway. I think we just love music. I you don't think, think it's people looking for community. So I think oh. it's people who are maybe less connected with the formalized Jewish institutions in their cities or wherever they're from and are less interested in synagogues and day schools and Shabbat dinners but are still seeking that sense of community and certainly from myself and from my friends um, my whole world is people who are in the music scene. This is who I hang out with. That's this is who tribe. I make plans. That's, That's my your tribe. tribe. Figured That's my tribe. Right. That's my tribe. They happen to be Jewish, which adds this other interesting layer of connection. But I think it's seeking community the way people used to seek it through religion. And then more and more people were sort of moving away from from religion, but still interested, and also the spirituality of jam bands. When you get into the psychedelic groove, and you're you're spinning, and you're you're tipsy, or you're high, or you're sober, whatever you are, but you're in this zone, and you are like, it's otherworldly, and there is this spirituality that that comes with that. I solito me voy. So joining us today is Eric Stein. Eric is an accomplished musician and band leader, an award-winning songwriter and recording artist, and a leading figure in Canada's music Jewish scene. And for those of you who don't know, Ashkenaz Festival is one of the biggest Jewish music fests that take place annually in Toronto. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So we've just heard a handful of people give their theories why Jews like jam bands. I'm curious, why do you think that is the case? Uh, well, I think definitely what, what we just heard, there's a lot of truism in that, a lot of things that I can relate to and, and sound familiar to me. Um, let's start with the first thing. It's great music. Like, Jew, Jewish or not Jewish, it's great music. So, let, you know, we shouldn't put that, uh, that, that should remain first and foremost. Because if there wasn't great music at the heart of this phenomenon, what would it really be about? You know, what, right. would, would it even exist? So that's the first departure point. Um, a lot of what the, the people we just heard speak resonates for me. The person who was talking about his experiences at summer camp, um, I think that that sort of speaks to a, a pretty um, critical aspect of this question. 
which is just the social context. What kind of social context uh, are Jews socialized into where they're exposed to music like this and where it becomes a sort of galvanizing uh, point for friendships and social interactions. And I, I definitely can relate to that. I, you know, I first got interested in the music in high school and that was part and parcel of my summer camp experiences and, you know, jamming by the fireplace and those young musicians who were, you know, first starting to play for other people and, and do that in group settings. A lot of the time it was that music uh, for me. I guess that begs a broader question, though, is, you know, what is it that, um, I don't want to put it in a negative term, but what is it that's lacking in contemporary Jewish experience that this fills that void? Um, and I think it comes down to something which you see in the way the phenomenon of the Grateful Dead functions. It is like a religion. Uh, the people that are involved, the people that go to the shows, there's ritual that's involved, there's um, spiritual seeking, um, there is uh, an idea of seeking community. You know, I think that's probably the, one of the biggest, most important parts of this, this topic is just the idea that it's a community. And for Jewish communities in North America over the last, say, well, let's say 50, 60 years with the era of the Grateful Dead, um, there's been a you know, significant noticeable decline in religiosity and the ways that, that Jewish communal life might be uh, galvanized by religion. But in the absence of that, Jewish people still manage to find each other and what is it that they then cohere around? And the Grateful Dead experience provides a lot of things that are parallel to what's provided by religion in terms of offering community and meaning and, and um, all that kind of thing. Uh, Can you give I us think, a few examples of what those rituals look like for someone who's maybe never been to a jam band event? Right. Well, I mean, the rituals are... Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a whole bunch smoking of weed is one of them yeah, for sure fair enough. i was i was thinking in my head how do i you know say that elegantly um <laughs> maybe it's not all that elegant a point but it's certainly uh, a, a salient one in terms of this scene that you know the the recreational habits of of jews young <laughs> and old uh do frequently include the consumption of recreational drugs and this music is very very much conducive to great experiences that are enhanced by uh, the drug of choice, whatever it may be. Um, but I don't want to put it all on that because I think it is it is far more than that. There is uh, the rituals of going to see Grateful Dead concerts. I mean, it's uh, I've heard, heard Jerry Garcia talk about this when people asked him to explain the phenomenon of deadheads. And he said, you know, well, back in the day, people could join the circus. This is like joining the circus. And I think that that's actually a really interesting way to look at this question. If you think about Jewish communities of the last few generations, uh, they're very affluent communities for the most part. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity and, uh, and privilege that comes with it and freedom. And I think that the freedom of being able to take off with buddies and, and go to some place far off or not too far off and then travel around with this band and meet a, a, a large cohort of, of um, people that think the same way and appreciate the same, have the same recreational habits. And, and um, I think there's a lot to that. 
Um, I think it's also a relatively safe form of rebellion for, for uh, young Jews as they are socialized into the world and become adults, young adults, and grow up. And I think even, you know, older deadheads, I think they're still rebelling. They're still playing out a rebellion fantasy when they go to see shows like this, that it's about uh, freedom and being untethered from anything and, and the experience at dead shows or, you know, their derivatives uh, is one that really promotes self-expression and self-fulfillment. And that's something where you can draw a line between what's the religious experience of the Grateful Dead and their kind versus the religious experience of Judaism in a synagogue. Nothing is being proscribed to you when you go to one of these concerts or, or take part in the culture. It's really yours to shape however you want to shape it. And there's a, a, an unspoken and maybe even explicit at times uh, ethos of like, yeah, do your own thing as long as you're not pissing anybody else off. And, and mm. you know, it's sort of this this um, very uh, significant expression of, of freedom, of just freedom and self-determination. Um, and I've always thought of like the Grateful Dead scene and its and its ilk as sort of a countercultural thing, which we know, you know, in the '60s it was actually a counterculture. And there's an interesting parallel for in this for me with the Jewish music world that I work in, um, where uh, you know the klezmer scene is Jewish counterculture. Uh, right. It's, it's bucking the trend of mainstream Judaism in a way, and there's a lot of things about the klezmer scene. Um, that resonated for me in a similar way when I started getting into it. It was like I was finding the same kind of instincts in myself and amongst others who were involved, that it's just um, seeking community, uh, speaking, seeking spirituality, spiritual meaning, and um, sort of, you know, there's a form of tribalism that's in it, but it's married with this individuality, individualism, which I think is really valuable to a lot of people to participate. So you've said something that klezmer music is a bit counterculture. That's interesting. I've never heard it really presented that way. Can you expand about, like, why is klezmer music considered counterculture in, in Judaism or in Jewish life? Well, for, for many decades following the Holocaust and the foundation of Israel, uh, there was a very concerted effort amongst official Jewish communities, uh, certainly in Israel and, and very much in North America, to change the channel from our Eastern European roots. Uh, to move away from the culture that uh, was decimated by the Holocaust. And there's, you know, this is deep sociology and historical uh, stuff here that we could get into, but you know, we can only t touch it superficially. But um, by the time people started asking the question in, in, among Jewish musicians, where's our music in the 70s and 80s, um, there had been a few decades that had gone by where this really, really rich, uh, trove of Jewish music and cultural heritage was being neglected. And those who embraced it in the 70s, 80s were definitely swimming against the tide of an Israel-centric Jewish identity um, and one, and, and, you know, to be embracing Yiddish, which, you know, it's been a dead language for decades, right? People have been saying that for decades and it's still here. There's something pretty powerful about its perseverance. So uh, I want to know how, how jam bands fits into it. Because even your festival, Ashkenaz Festival, ultimately is a celebration of Yiddish culture, Ashkenazi culture. So where do the jam bands come in? And is there any overlap? Is there any klezmer 
influence or any traditional Ashkenazi music in the roots of any of the Jewish jam bands, or are there two kind of separate things that happen to have now overlapped? They're pretty separate things from a musicological standpoint, I would say. Um, uh, you know, for me personally, and, and I should say that a, a lot of whatever my opinions are on this topic um, are, are informed as much by uh, trying to think in a sociological and historical way as it is informed by my own personal experience. Um, so a lot of it is just personal experience and observation. Um, yeah, musicologically, there isn't a great, uh, a very obvious connection between klezmer music and, and uh, jam band music. Uh, except, I would say, for myself, from my own experience, the thing that first hooked me in, into being interested in klezmer music was having listening experiences with klezmer music that did the same thing to me or similar things to me that listening to The Grateful Dead, which it transported me. It was I found it transcendent on a from a musical standpoint. Um, and, you know, I could close my eyes and the music took me somewhere. And that, for me, is, is something that... Uh, resonates really powerfully with me in terms of what kind of music I like. There's a, an improvisational factor, which is exciting, and um, it functions in a very different way, again, musicologically within those different styles of music. But the idea of expressing oneself and the idea of being free to do as you want within the music, there's, that's a much broader thing in jam band music. But part of what I would say has defined the Klezmer revival scene, certainly over the last 20 years or so, like in its sort of more recent phase, is the idea of people borrowing from different musical styles, often styles that they grew up with, the North American musical styles, whether it's jazz or even classical music or jam band music, bluegrass, like you know the band we just had in our series. Um, and finding a way to... to merge one's uh, musical instincts and musical influences into something new. That's what it's been for me, for sure, on a personal level. Um, klezmer music came to me at a time when I was sort of looking for what was going to inspire me as a musician. Mm. And, um, and it gave me the opportunity to try to forge my own musical path that includes being a deadhead and includes being a weirdo who's into like ethnic music from Eastern Europe. <laughs> So, Eric, before we started recording, you were talking about how, you know, many Jews who are coming really are very down and really want to see the Grateful Dead cover bands, but are a bit more standoffish when it comes to the actual Jewish-centric uh, or Jewish bands. Can you tell us why maybe that is happening? Well, uh, I mean, that's really the, the crux of this whole thing. And um, even in terms of why we did this series this summer. For me, it was a personal opportunity to tie together a lot of different musical worlds of mine. Um, but myself and my colleague, Samantha Parnes, who together we've been sort of running Ashkenaz for many years, uh, the two of us both come from this background as people that became music lovers in our teens through these jam band type experiences. We were both people that drank some funny Kool-Aid at some point and ended up becoming interested in klezmer and Yiddish music. And that made us outliers in a lot of way from our groups, our, our respective groups of friends who would go, you know, be deadheads or go see fish or whatever. Um, so for years, we've been doing stuff at our festival and certainly my, my instincts as a programmer are always to program things that I think are just musically great. And if it's musically great, in theory, it should also appeal to all of my friends and peers 
who I think have great taste in music and, and are also, I think, open-minded music listeners, except it doesn't, or at least it hasn't for the most part. Um, I think there's really something problematic for a lot of people about music being labeled as Jewish music. And that comes from, from a, uh, I'm sure it comes from a lot of different places for different people. But from my group of friends that I'm thinking of, the people who for years I'm saying, you know, I've got this amazing thing that I bring to the Ashkenaz Festival that I know you'll love if you'll just come. And they don't come. Um, and even because it's what a factor of like it's uncool or because they perceive it as religiosity or they're just it's not my thing all of the above all of the above i think but but the last point of it's not my thing that's the most insidious problematic aspect of this it's not my thing it is your thing why don't you just come because you'll find that it's your thing and last night uh we had the second concert in the summer jam series and the opening band was um, this bluegrass band from Boston that happened to be observant Jews um, who inject their spiritual spirituality and their experience of Jewish uh, ritualism and Jewish spiritualism. They inject it into their, into their music. It's a perfect, really authentic, really sincere and very exciting blend of bluegrass, American musical tradition with Jewish spirituality. That's Jewish really tradition. cool. It's, it was great. And so a bunch of my friends, like how we got the, the you know, the band cover band chest fever on the bill. And I'm, and I, my hope is, okay, you guys are going to come and you're going to see this band at the beginning and you'll be like, Oh, wow, that was really cool. I didn't expect that. But, uh, you know, for the days and hours leading up to the show last night, these friends of mine, they're like texting me and asking me, so when's, when's chest fever on? They're all timing their arrival. The God forbid their ears should be uh, infected <laughs> with a minute of any music that has Jewish next to it. But there right. were a bunch of, uh, there were some of those people that did show up and they were all like, wow, that band is great. And and those guys, I told them about the, the whole spirit of the series. And I said, maybe you guys want to cover something from one of these bands that we're sort of paying homage to in this summer jam series. So they ended up covering a dead song, Eyes of the World. They did a beautiful, amazing job of it that some of these friends that actually did make it to here were like blown away by. And I was blown away by it, it was great. Uh, <laughs> It sounds like that's speaking to your earlier point about community and how people are moving away from it, but yet they're finding it through music. It really speaks a lot to our times. And it's very interesting how I find this, even in a universal sense, we're in a, you know, an era where people are like anti-religion, but yet they find all these other things to be religious about, whether it's yoga or you know, action movies or whatever it is that is their thing. And I think as humans, we have this natural inclination towards wanting that spiritual collective experience. And it's the labels that I think people get really, really stuck on. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very good point. I mean, but I don't think it's, it's not just labels. It's also their own, uh, let's call it, <laughs> for trauma lack, for lack of a better word, <laughs> of whatever totally. they grew up whatever their experience of of their parents and their grandparents and yeah. whatever it is that they weren't told growing up and yeah i mean here's, yeah. A, here's an interesting i i have made this point in a number of interviews over the years talking to people and explaining my connection with klezmer music you know i grew up in a very very secular family we didn't even go to synagogue for high holidays you know the first time i really went to synagogue was for my own bar mitzvah which i learned phonetically written in english uh, at the most reformed shul you could possibly imagine 
Um, I had none of that connection with Jewish life, Jewish spiritual practice, ritual practice, uh, until I got involved in the klezmer music scene in my mid-20s. And that was something that appealed to me on an intellectual level, on a spiritual level, on a heritage level, cultural level. I mean, I'm, I'm a prototypical, uh, a stereotypical cultural Jew. That's my experience of Judaism. So every day of my life, being a Jewish musician, working in the Ashkenaz Festival, working in the Jewish community, I'm living a Jewish life every day. I'm thinking about my Judaism. I'm working within that. So many of friends of mine who are, you know, these sort of, let's call them white whales or whatever, the ones who won't come out, they're people that grew up being dragged to synagogue on high holidays and being sent to Jewish day school, perhaps. And right. maybe something about that experience really created uh, an inhibition uh, against ever going there. It's like a, a big trigger for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it definitely is. And like you think about, you know, summer camp, which is such a touchstone experience for so many Jews, um, for me as well. Uh, that's a completely, mostly secular experience for the one the camps that I don't think about, like you know the W camps and 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 all those in Ontario. They were mostly secular camps that happened to be attended by a whole lot of Jews. This is the the uh, the, the the laboratory to 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 create this community of Jewish people that like to hang out with each other and do everything Jewish, except actually connect Judaism. with something that's <laughs> Jewish. Right. You know? Well, I love that, though. Like, I love that there's a way in for everyone. And even the people who might say, like, oh, I don't really do anything Jewish. Maybe music is the thing that, the one thing that um, connects them to their ancestry. And why not, if that's the way in, in the same way that you were saying, you know, people come to these jam band events and they pick their own adventure and they decide, like, how they want to have their experience. I think there's a lot of that in Judaism and the way that it's evolved and people figuring out kind of what Judaism means to them. Yeah, no, I think you, you, you totally nailed that. That's, uh, that's exactly what it's about. Uh, I mean, there's another thing that I think is an interesting point um, about parallels between the deadhead experience and the Jewish experience. As Jews, wherever we go in the world, when you meet another Jew, there's like this instant kind of connection of like, ah, totally. okay, both Jews. we both have a shorthand, we both, whatever it is, you know, you can talk it out and see what's actually there. But there's always a thing of like when you show up someplace and, you know, when you're one percent of the population and you show up someplace and you find another one like you, you connect. Being a deadhead is the same thing. You can go anywhere in the world. You see a guy walking down the street and he's wearing a Grateful Dead T-shirt. Right away, there's a connection right away. You have a language you can speak with that person. And, and I mean, I've experienced that. I know lots of people have experienced uh, a similar kind of thing. Um, so I think that's a, a big part of it. There's one other thing that I think is also interesting about the, the dead experience vis-a-vis uh, -vis Judaism. Um, there's a kind of midrash of the Grateful Dead of like, you know, studying the phenomenon, d debating which version of Scarlet Begonias is better, is the best <laughs> version, keeping statistics on the history of the band and how many times did they play this song after that song on a Tuesday when the moon was full, like all this kind of obsession with statistics and facts and that story. Um, I mean, there's there's a book called Dead Base, which is this massive basically reference encyclopedia of every show the Grateful Dead has ever played and every, all the statistics are analyzed in terms of the number of songs that are played, 
Um, I mean, for the people of the book, this is a great book if you're into the Grateful Dead, right? So I think that there's there's um, an aspect of the experience that that scratches that itch in some way. And for the summer series, how did you go about choosing the bands? Where did you find them? So uh, with the cover bands, uh, the first place to look was locally, and this is also looking at this phenomenon. Uh, you know, there's there's Grateful Dead and Almond Brothers tribute bands in the city that are mostly made up of Jew, Jews. Uh, I happen to be involved with all of these people and I play in some of these bands. So it was a bit of a no brainer and um, a, a bit of a nice opportunity for me to bring to an Ashkenaz audience music that I normally play outside of the quote unquote Ashkenaz world. You know, when I put on mm -hmm. a hat, when I take off my Jewish hat and put my other musician hat on. Um, as far as the uh, other groups, the, each of the Jewish acts, and that was really the idea, is to pair a jam band uh, that was related to the bands from the original Summer Jam concert in 1973 with a Jewish act, again, as to create a gateway drug to get people to hear stuff they wouldn't otherwise hear. So it was very important to me to choose the Jewish act on the basis of what kind of acts are going to be more palatable, more attractive to this kind of audience. So I was thinking about uh, certainly bluegrass, which is a, a key influence in the music of the Grateful Dead and the band and, and you know American folk music, American folk styles like that. So that seemed like a no brainer. Um, and it actually relates to what my way into the Grateful Dead or to Klezmer music was because uh, it was actually it was the Grateful Dead that got me into Klezmer music because I learned about Jerry Garcia's association with the mandolin player David Grisman, which then led me towards bluegrass, which ultimately I then took a little left turn and ended up in the Klezmer world. Um, so choosing a bluegrass band made a lot of sense. Uh, Gefilta, which is the band coming up in the last edition with uh, my friend Sokol, I just know that Sokol is such a charismatic, amazing performer, and he really fuses um his, his experiments in mixing jewish tradition jewish musical tradition with influences that resonate for a broader audience and for him particularly like hip-hop like funk and soul uh that he's just created like super cool music that uh, you know this is the stuff like i, I mean we've had so-called at our festival a dozen times and i wish more of my friends would have come to hear earlier on because they'd be like wow that guy's crazy and super cool and i want to hear more of that um, and then uh, the Andalusian group that was part of the first uh, show, um, we'd, I'd actually been speaking to that group for about a year and we knew we were going to do something with them this summer. I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be, but when this series was conceived, they felt like a pretty natural fit. It felt probably, I would say that group is the, the biggest stretch for the jam band audience to wrap their ears around because it is more eastern style music and it's got a sort of more exotic vibe to it but i was pretty sure that the musicianship of it would be um appealing uh compelling to the kind of audience we were trying to get out and it was in fact for you know i spoke to lots of people that saw that band and they were like wow that was super cool um so yeah so how has the Ashkenaz audience uh, reacted to the jam band series? Have you heard from them in recently? Are you talking about like our more traditional, reliable? Ashkenaz yes, artists? that's well, exactly. Okay, so they've behaved exactly how I expected them to behave, um, which is a great thing. I know that audience well, I understand. And to tell you the truth, 
I, I, I would say they're actually a more open-minded audience than the deadhead type audience that you know we're trying to rope really. In. I think they're actually more open to hearing things that might be unfamiliar to them and strange than vice versa. So the first show, uh, we had a great crowd, and just as as the the second band, the dead band, was taking the stage, we had a monsoon that hit us for ten minutes. And that drove out the older Ashkenaz people who I think would have stuck around for a little while, maybe even the whole thing. And I know some of them did. There were a handful that, you know, took cover under the trees and came back out and enjoyed the rest of the night. Um, but uh, so we didn't get a chance to fully test the the the, the, the Okay, concept. we'll check back in. Yeah. So but, but yesterday, uh, uh, last night when we had the, the band, I think a lot of our our Ash, Ashkenaz audience actually stuck around for uh, at least 20, 30 minutes and listened to some of that music. Some of them, I think, are familiar with that music from their own music listening and, you know, were, were wanted to hear the music of the band. Um, so we'll see. But I, I think that I wouldn't expect the Ashkenaz audience necessarily, you know, the older folks, people that are, you know, into Yiddish music to stick around for a full 75 minute set of, of Grateful Dead music. Right. But and then, I would expect them to listen to 20 or 30 and be like, okay, that's, that's not bad. They weren't like, you know, covering their ears and running for the exit. <laughs> we put like a Metallica cover band on there. I, I, I think they wouldn't be interested, but, right. um, and that goes back that, to my first point about this is just, it's just good music. That's all. Right. You know? And then on the flip side, what were the band's reactions when you invited like a Grateful Dead cover band to perform in this festival where they were like, why, why, why am I being invited to a Jewish thing? Or did they get the connection? That's a very, very interesting question. Um, there were some, and in fact, uh, some who uh, said no to the opportunity to perform at this thing for one reason or another. Um, but part of the reason I think was a little bit of confusion and bewilderment about what the hell is this all about? Um, and just feeling like, well, why are these things going together? For those right. who, who, who engaged and, and came uh, and were you know, down for the opportunity, I think they were definitely more open-minded to what it was about and, and thought it was cool. And, and at the end of the day, they were happy to have a gig. Um, as far as the, the Jewish bands that are on these bills, uh, it's interesting because I was talking with Jacob's Ladder and some of those guys who were part of the Bluegrass Band that played last night. And they said, you know, well, first, we didn't really we thought it was sort of a strange idea. What you know, what is this series about? What are you putting us together with? But then they were like, now we see it and it's genius. This is amazing. This makes so much sense. And so that's really uh, gratifying for me when I hear that from fellow musicians, that they understand what what I'm envisioning and, and what I'd like to accomplish. Um, so I think that uh, there was uh, quite a good amount of just open-mindedness and yeah let's let's do it you know let's let's see what we get when we put these things together and and i'll say this too that those kinds of musicians people that are working in a more niche kind of environment with you know klezmer or andalusian music or whatever they're people that are used to being outliers in the context of folk festivals jazz festivals you know those kinds of environments where they're the other they're the exotica that a programmer has brought in to make their lineup more diverse and um, and to introduce their audiences to things that they might not otherwise check out. So I don't think it was that jarring for them to think about themselves being part of these double bills. 
So, Eric, do you think we will see more jam bands in the future with Ashkenaz Festival then? You know, that's a really good question and uh, an interesting and exciting one. I mean, the experiment has definitely been successful thus far. We have one more show coming up, which I think is going to um, just build on what we've developed over these first two. Um, and what is that next show? The next show is August 14th. And that one is with uh, Gefilte, which is so-called sort of Yiddish soul and funk band, and Eat a Peach, which is the Allman Brothers tribute group that I'm part of. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, short answer, yes. I think we're gonna we're onto something here, um, and we still we're still trying to crack that nut of those folks who were like trying to time their arrival to miss the Jewish music. So it sounds like gonna, a good challenge. Yeah, I think we're going to keep trying to reach them. And, 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 you know, in my head, I can think of a few different ways that this could go in the future. Um, I should also say that, you know, this was the first time that we have partnered with the Megan boys. And it's been a really, really cool partnership with them. I think each of us are being pulled slightly out of what our usual wheelhouse is. But where we find ourselves overlapping is in our, our shared goals of what we're trying to achieve in terms of, of, of um, getting the community interested in the work we're doing and getting people out and utilizing a, a space in the city that has been underutilized. I mean, I, I mean, that's one of the things that's also kind of brilliant about this thing is just that we're putting it in North York in a beautiful park setting where a lot of people that, um, you know, might be downtowners at heart, but uh, their lives have led them to the suburbs. And, you know, if they want to go out and see this kind of music, they usually got to go to a club downtown or drive many hours to get to some festival. It's in their backyard. I could imagine that's the greatest barrier beyond anything about Jewish music is getting on to the highway in Toronto and sort of acknowledging I'm going to drive for an hour to the next band. <laughs> for sure. Um, so I think there were a lot of people and, and so many familiar faces out last night, people that I see out at jam band events very frequently and lots of friends and friends of friends and all these sort of overlapping social networks. And, and I find as I get older, more and more of the people that I thought were in sort of separate atomized groups, everybody knows each other. Everybody's connected in, in greater ways as time goes on in more increasing ways. So that was really cool. I mean, last night it really felt like, wow, we're like throwing a party for all our friends, like in, in the park. And this is like really cool. We've got to do more of this. And, and I, I, I think that we will. Um, what shape it actually takes, I don't know. But um, we're definitely on to something and going to try to build off of what we've done this summer at our bales. Well, Eric, you know, you've definitely opened my eyes and ears to the joys of jam bands and the Ashkenaz Festival. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking about both today. My pleasure. It's a, a topic I would speak about for hours with anybody. So. <laughs> So David, what's happening out west in Canada right now with Jewish arts and culture? So I would say there's two things that are on my radar right now. Um, on August 12th, there's something called the Bagel and Bow Comedy Tour. It is joined by Ronan Geisler and Cy Kite. They are doing a comedy special across Western Canada. I believe they're going to Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver. And basically the idea is they're coming together for an evening of laughter as well as diversity. Um, you got Ronan Geisler, who is like a Jewish comedian. He brings his brand of humor infused with anecdotes, observations from obviously his Jewish background. And you got Sai Kit, a Hong Kong comedian who is delivering wit, exploring the amusing quirks of his own culture. And together they've decided to come together and share all their 
differences and all their similarities. So that will be taking place at Vern's Tavern, as I said, on August 12th, right here in Calgary. I will be there. Come check us nice. out. And what's the other thing on the docket? Th and the other thing is actually the next day, it's going to be a busy weekend for me. It's going to be on August 13th. We're having a drag brunch at Temple Beth Tzedek Congregation. So this is now an annual event. It's an all-ages drag brunch. You get to have a kosher breakfast, signature cocktails, and immerse yourself in the world of drag with the drag group Fake Mustache. And there will be child-friendly activities as well, too. The drag event is for 16+. plus. So if you want to register, uh, you can register by August 9th. Uh, and I believe tickets are $30 once again at Temple Beth Tzedek Congregation. Cool. Have fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. But Alana, something else I think slightly bigger than that is happening in your world. Can you tell us what is yeah. going on? I don't want to give away too many spoilers in case anyone who's coming to my wedding um, knows, or I mean, listens to this podcast. I still haven't gotten uh, my invite. When should I When should I get that? Let's just say my partner one, wanted to keep things very small. Um, and it's so interesting. I don't know if this was the case for you, David. For If it was not clear already, I'm by the time this episode comes out, I'll be getting married in just a few days. And uh, everyone kept saying, you know, the week or two leading up to the wedding, you're going to like lose people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe one. And just in the past week, already like four random people are like, I can't make it anymore. This work thing came up and I'm like, okay, I made the mistake of already writing people's names on place cards. I didn't put the table number and now I'm like, am I going to have to go get white out? Like, I don't know if I have any enough extra. I think that was my biggest pet peeve for my wedding this time last year was people yeah. canceling very close to the end where I had already printed everything out. Yeah. You make all the table selections and then, mm -hmm. oh, you know, Sh Shirley can't come anymore. And that ruins the whole dynamic of that table because Shirley was supposed to speak yeah, to Frank. She was like the connector. Exactly. <laughs> you, you have to spend a lot of time thinking about how oh my people God. are going to interact yes. at the tables. Oh, I've spent way too much time. I'm like planning the wedding, basically like me and my and my partner, mostly me, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I've been treating the wedding as like a job. And I do have that flexibility being a self-employed artist. And with the strike and everything going on, it's summer, it's slow right now. So I was like, okay, like the wedding is kind of my, my part-time job. Um, and it's getting closer and I'm definitely feeling the like, ah, am I going to get everything? Is it all going to go okay? Like, I, I actually feel like I'm producing a play. Someone said that to me recently. They're like, yeah, well, it makes sense that, you know, you're feeling all these things. You're basically putting on a production. And I was like, oh my God, it's so true. Like, I have all these call sheets and spreadsheets and timelines and this and all the details. So hopefully everything goes well. Did you plan your wedding when you uh, got married last year, David? Yeah, John just couldn't hack it with his job. He was way too busy. So yep. same thing as an yep, artist, yep. I had flexibility. So I took <laughs> the lead on all that planning, all that preparation. But the one blessing is I decided to get what I called a stage manager. But I guess in the wedding industry, they'll call it an event planner. Oh, so I you did have it a planner. I, we, I she didn't plan anything. Okay. I had a friend who was a stage manager by yeah. day. And she uh -huh. helped coordinate everything during the day. So I didn't oh, have to think about good. any of I know, and I, I don't know if it's too late for you, but I just had someone who took the lead on, like, the event's happening at this time. I need yeah. to get all the guests in by this time. We're going to schedule this. I'm going to check in with this so that I didn't have to think about any of that on right. my wedding day. Yeah, that's smart. Um, and that was very, very helpful. So think about if you know a stage manager. I know a few in Montreal. Yeah, yeah that's true. I have one coming to my wedding. But, um, well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, very, very exciting things. I, I was in Whistler last week having a kind of bachelorette trip 
So I'm feeling nice and rejuvenated. I went to the spa. It's all like Lovely. in the mountains of Whistler. And yeah, my brain is very much in wedding mode. Well, if I can any if I can offer any advice is um, I was just very, very happy when the wedding was actually finally over. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, you must be so happy on the wedding day. I was like, no, I can't wait till everyone is gone and I'm just alone no. and I can decompress. Yeah, that's I mean, how I'm, I felt I'm like. excited for people to come. The way that I've been feeling is like I want it to like come quicker because like all the anticipation is actually harder. I feel like on the day, like I have friends flying in from really far, so I'm really excited to see them and spend time with them. And I'm like, oh, can we just get there already? Yeah, I know the feeling. Well, honestly, uh, I wish you all the muzzles, some of the toes. Everyone here, <laughs> only some toes. Just some, just a few tubs, but all the muzzles. And um, I hope you have a great, great time. And I will wait uh, for my invitation to come in the mail any day now. Sounds good. And with that here at Culturally Jewish, we will be taking a bit of a summer break. But you can catch us again when we come back in September. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, Ilana Zakon. And me, David Sklar. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel-Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks for listening.